Welcome to Talking Human Rights. I'm Heather Robertson Gaston, and welcome to part four of Palestinian Gandhi on trial, our special series where we discuss the life and work and current predicament of Palestinian activist Isa Amro. In this episode, we're going to start to wrap up this series. I think we've actually covered a lot. We've talked about the military occupation of the West Bank and what it's like to live under it. We've talked about Issa's development as a nonviolent leader within that context of occupation. We've talked about the targeting campaign that has been launched against Issa, a type of targeting that is sometimes called legal harassment, a campaign that has kind of piled on and on until now as Isa finds himself on trial before an Israeli military court and simultaneously on trial before a Palestinian authority court. And of course, we've talked about the Israeli case and Israeli military law. So what we're going to do in this episode is we're going to focus on Isa's other trial, the trial that is happening before a Palestinian authority court. In this case, the charges against Isa are perhaps even more absurd and and really tell a story of you know, incredible restrictions on political activities in the West Bank. In this case, Isa has been charged with violating a controversial electronic crimes law, his crime being a Facebook post that criticized the Palestinian Authority for its treatment of a journalist also under this electronic crimes law. I should say there has been an international outcry against both of these cases. In terms of the Israeli case, that outcry has been so large and so forceful that it has resulted in 39 members of the United States Congress formally requesting that the U.S. State Department intervene on ISA's behalf. So that's really groundbreaking. The U.S. Congress doesn't usually do things like that in this neck of the woods. In terms of the PA case, there has also been an outcry. Nine members of the United States Congress have written letters directly to the Palestinian president, Mahmoud Abbas, demanding that these charges against Issa be dropped. Human rights organizations have also demanded that the charges be dropped and that the electronic crimes law under which Issa has been charged, that it be amended substantially or just repealed altogether, because not only does it outlaw what should be protected political speech, but it also outlaws the use of certain technologies that activists really need to maintain their own privacy and basic freedoms. So we're going to talk about this case today. But before we do that, I just want to play a little content that I think will help us set up in general what the Palestinian Authority is and how much power it has. You know, I don't want people to be walking around with ideas that the PA is some sort of sovereign government that has a lot of power. Just like the Palestinians are living under occupation every day, the Palestinian Authority is also under occupation. And it's incredibly restricted. Even its elections and questions of who is allowed to rise to power is incredibly restricted from the outside. And we could really go down a very long list of activities that violate the rights of the Palestinian people. Issa and I really did go down such a list as we were doing our interview, and I would play it, but I think it would be a bit disjointed. But what it all points to is that if the Palestinians 
did have access to a government that represented their interests, if that government had access to power, so many of these activities that we talk about, they they wouldn't be happening. Um, That government would be able to put an end to them. But the Palestinians don't have access to something like that. And and what they do have limited access to, the Palestinian Authority, it it doesn't have a lot of power. So this episode is going to be a little different from the previous two. What I'm going to do is just kind of play some tape from the second interview I did with Isa for this series. Um, you'll notice that I'm barely mic'd for this interview, but I, I think that's okay. You can hear me. You can hear me well enough and you hear from me plenty in this series. And I, I also think you can just listen to Isa and you'll know what he's talking about. So in this first section, we're talking about Area C. We've talked a bit about Area C in this series already. And if you'll remember, Area C is the rural areas of the West Bank, which is to say it's most of the West Bank. And in Area C, Uh, the Israeli military exerts complete control. Um, There is no Palestinian authority to speak of in Area C, which again, is most of the West Bank. So if you're a Palestinian and you want to dig a water line or make an addition onto your house on land that you own, you don't apply to the Palestinian Authority for a permit. You apply to Israel. And this is why you see so many people in this part of the West Bank living in tents and living in caves. Um, So anyway, we started this conversation about Area C talking about something I had seen in my first visit to the West Bank, and that is the villages in Area C that have been blocked off by the military, by huge piles of debris and boulders so that no one can get in or out. You have to actually climb over this huge pile of stuff to get in or out of the village where you live, which means you can't drive anywhere. We have around 360 movement barriers mm-hmm. in, in Palestine now. Movement barriers means uh, blocks, roadblocks, mm-hmm. closing streets, gates, earth mount, you know, they do it from time to time. So we have many, many isolated communities, uh, especially in Area C, because they want to make their life harder and harder to force them to leave. That is the policy around it, you know. So they make their life harder. No, tra- no, no public transportation. Even you know, uh, they need to go around if they want to, you know, to go into their to their village with their with a car. It's costly, and they don't have schools even, you know, especially secondary schools in their uh, village. So that is the case there that people live in isolation and in, uh, in, in in segregation, alone, away from the street. Settlers, they have road 60 open, public for them. They use it whenever they want. And Palestinians, sometimes they are not allowed to use the street. And many of these people don't have running water. So getting, you know, you're not just getting food to your house. You have to get water into your, into your house. We don't have running water. So Palestinians, they save the water in a water tank on the roofs. Mm-hmm. Wait till the water comes maybe once every two to three weeks, sometimes in summer one month. And they don't have enough water for for showering every day. So people don't shower every day because they are they don't like to do so because they have a shortage of water. And we were smuggling in 
renewable energy systems to South Mount Hebron, smuggling them in. Mm-hmm. Imagine that green energy was not allowed. So the occupation is trying to kill any kind of infrastructure for life. Because they, 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 we call it quite transfer from Area C. And 63% uh, of West Bank is Area C. And the other areas, A, B, you know, the Palestinian president needs a permit from the Israeli to move from Palestine to Jordan. And even, you know, they arrested people around his house. So the army is invading Area E whenever they want. Mm-hmm. They are raiding any house in West Bank. They destroyed a house in Area A in Ramallah two months ago. So the army is in control of everything in West Bank. The army is, control, is in control of the sky, the land, underground, and the infrastructure of living. So they are the ones who are really controlling all aspects of our life. In indirect way, sometimes by pressuring the Palestinian Authority, or in a, a direct way by doing it by themselves. I hope that was useful to listen to, um, for you to re- be reminded that in most of the West Bank, there is no Palestinian authority, and that in the rest of the West Bank, its power is actually very, very limited. And now I want to play a section from the interview where Issa and I are discussing how little control the PA has over where its people are allowed to travel, whether they're allowed to travel beyond the borders of the West Bank, for instance, whether they're allowed to travel to the United States. How hard is it to get to the United States if somebody invites you to come to the United States? Uh, to come to the United States, it's a very hard trip to the majority of the Palestinians. First, you need to apply to get a visa from the American embassy in Jerusalem. And to get into Jerusalem, you need a permit from the Israeli occupation. And many, many Palestinians are blacklisted and they don't get permit. And I'm one of them. So I don't get permit to go to Jerusalem uh, since maybe 10 years for after being uh, a, a human rights uh, defender in Palestine. So I don't get permit to visit Jerusalem, to visit my friends, to visit Al-Aqsa Mosque or, you know, to have any kind of uh, social relation in Jerusalem or around Jerusalem. So you are completely banned from going to Jerusalem, which is part of West Bank, especially East Jerusalem. And the American embassy is there. Uh, You apply online to get a visa. The process is long, but uh, me personally, I am qualified to get the visa because I got the visa many times and they've been here many times. So I applied as everybody does. And I got a letter from the the American uh, embassy to get a permit. The Israelis refused to give me a permit. It means that I will not be able to get a visa to come to the United States. So the Israeli military is deciding, you know, before the, the consulate or the embassy who comes to hear from the Palestinians. So many Palestinians were not able to come here because the occupation prevented them from going in to do the visa process in Jerusalem. I had some friends who helped me 
with the American uh, embassy who referred me to Jordan embassy. So I went to the American embassy in Amman to apply for my visa. And because I have many support in the Congress, many support from human rights organization, uh, and many support from American friends, I managed to get my visa to come here and uh, do what I was planning to do from talking in conferences, talking to senators, to Congress people, to media here in the United States. After you get the visa, you need another challenge and it's a kind of adventure. So there's no where to process a visa from inside of the West Bank? For me and for many Palestinians, you uh, have to go to the American embassy in East Jerusalem, which is part of the West Bank, but it's sieged. We, right. we are not allowed without a permit. Nobody is allowed to get Jerusalem without a permit from the Israeli military. Have you heard of anyone who's just trying to get home in the West Bank? They're trying to get back to Hebron or Bethlehem or whatever, and they live there and have gone to Jordan, and then when they come back, um, or try to come back, have trouble getting home? Yes, I know many Palestinians who were arrested when they were coming back, who were detained for a long time. I was detained many times for a long time, interrogated, investigated about my activities outside Palestine. I was blocked from traveling to, I was arrested at the borders when I was leaving. So this is why I don't announce in advance now. So they don't know that I'm leaving for certain purpose. So I just announce, I just announced that I'm in DC after I arrived here. And in spite that I could do much more if I prepare in advance and I announce that I am here for reaching more people here to talk to or to have more meetings. And, um, and that's the only border that isn't, I mean, none of the checkpoints with Israel are really on the border of Israel, but otherwise there's not another way to get out of the West Bank, right? There's everything that is on the West and then there's the Allenby Bridge, right? Is it's no for me as a person who's living in West Bank. It's uh, it's either to go travel from Ben Gurion Airport in Tel Aviv, and I'm not allowed as a Palestinian human rights defender. And the majority of the Palestinians they need a permit, and the permits usually are given for the people who are coexisting with the occupation and accepting the occupation, or from Jordan. Which, uh, or to go to Jordan, and from Jordan and the man airport you travel. Okay. So even the exterior borders are controlled by Israel? Everything... Between the West Bank and Jordan? Oh, everything is controlled by, by the Israeli occupation. We have 99 checkpoints within the West Bank, and, you know, and Gaza is sieged. Uh, so Israel is controlling all aspect of our life importing exporting traveling water electricity all basic needs of the palestinians are controlled by the israeli occupation and we feel that we are in a big jail because the occupation is even deciding for us without our well we don't want occupation we didn't vote for the occupation but that is the reality in palestine now
Okay, and now we're going to talk a little bit about the case. I'm going to play some tape of me and Issa discussing this case so you can hear it. What we don't really talk about too much in this section is the electronic crimes law that Issa is being prosecuted under. And that's a law that was passed by presidential decree in July of 2017. And immediately after this law was passed, the PA started using it to round up journalists and activists. The language of this law is is very vague in many places. It outlaws various activities online that can be seen as threatening public morals and harming national unity. Um, and in other areas, the law is actually very specific. It outlaws the use of virtual private networks and other technologies that activists need to protect themselves. It also requires that service providers retain information about really everyone for a very long period of time. So we're not talking about those aspects of the law so much in this interview. What we're really talking about is what it was like for Isa to be arrested by his own people and held by his own people. Always when I write uh, any kind of critical posts against the Palestinian uh, security forces, I know that uh, I'm facing risk, but I didn't think that post will take me to jail. Why did you post about, about the situation? I post to because I believe in democracy I believe in human rights, and I believe that uh, you know that we should act against any offender, regardless of their nationality or religion, or uh, regardless of uh, our relation with them. So, when the PA violates any basic human rights, I should act, and I should speak about it, and I should uh, tell them that is wrong. And I tell the people to act to get their rights and not to give up and uh, to practice their freedom of expression and freedom of opinion. As Palestinians, we see that democracy and human rights is our strength and we want to keep it and not lose it. Mm-hmm. And then when you were arrested, what happened? Did they come to your house? Did you, did you know you were going to be arrested? No, they came to my house. They didn't find me. I went on the next day and I thought that they want only to, to, to ask me some questions, but I was arrested uh, by, by them and I was mistreated. And you were held for several days, right? I was held for maybe a week. And is this when you went on a hunger strike? I went directly on hunger strike. Okay. How did they react to your hunger strike? They, in the first uh, two days, they didn't care. They think they thought that I'm a cheap target and they, they could do whatever they want to me. Then after international uh, and local campaign to release me, I became the main news in Palestine and maybe in some international media agencies. They just wanted to end that. Uh, they just... Uh, started negotiating me to stop my hunger strike. Mm. Did they offer you something? They they offered me a lot, but I, and this is a, a even, if I'm a, if any of my rights defender who's listening to me now, don't trust the authorities when you are in jail. They are the jailers, so you don't trust them. Whatever they offer, you should refuse. 
you need uh, your lawyer to do any to make any deal so it must be uh, by your lawyer or by a human rights organization to make any agreement with the authorities if they arrest you this is what i did i give up i didn't give up i didn't listen to them i was uh, very stubborn and not to stop my hunger strike or even negotiate them about my hunger strike till i got from my lawyer that the case is ended that i will be released and um what is it like i mean you're you're arrested by israelis all the time but what is it like to be arrested by fellow palestinians i was destroyed from destroyed from inside my heart was broken to be arrested and put in a cell inside the palestinian jail and the majority of the questions were about my activities against the occupation they wanted to know what i am doing and how i'm reaching the american congress how i'm reaching and i am sure that uh, through the security co- 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 cooperation between the israeli uh, security forces and the palestinian security forces they wanted that and i'm sure that my arrest was not a palestinian decision it was even an israeli decision they asked them to arrest me or they put pressure on certain security leaders to arrest me and harass me and make my life miserable to give up my my human rights passion and to give up my uh, struggle against the occupation because mainly i'm i'm struggling against the occupation mainly you know all my um, the majority of my activities are against the occupation and there does seem to be a pattern where the like in the case of the journalist who you who you posted in defense of he was arrested by the PA but then the Israeli forces the Israeli soldiers came in and destroyed his uh, shut down his radio station isn't that right so yes sort of that both of them decided both of them both of them unfortunately are doing a lot of bad work but we can't say that they are equal there is a contractor and subcontractor the main enemy of the palestinian people and palestinian rights is the israeli occupation and they are unfortunately using uh using uh, the israeli the palestinian security to do dirty work what is the palestinian preventive security force why did, what is what do they mean preventive the we have many names we have intelligence we have preventive security we have police preventive security is to prevent any anything to happen this should be preventing any harm to the Palestinian people unfortunately they are not doing that they are trying to defend the the dictatorships they are trying to defend some political leaders they are not neutral they should be neutral to defend us as palestinians from any violence from anyone even from the israelis but unfortunately they don't do that and they are supported by the american uh, government they give them directly money and they just uh, train them they give them weapons and they just uh, don't make them follow the international regulation uh of the of the international law how to treat their own people even there is a torture in Palestinian uh detention centers did you talk to any of the guards or any of the people arresting you about the 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 majority of them like me very much and they know my activities and even they were many of them they were friendly and they were trying to help me inside but it's not them it's the system 
If you are found guilty, how long could... From what I feel, if I am found guilty by the PA security, I may spend one year to two years in jail. So you could potentially, if you were found guilty by the PA, you could be in a PA... Jail. Jail. And then... To, to, uh, I will be in Israeli jail. Okay. And what is... What is a PA jail like? The conditions in the PA jail are very bad. It's uh, so crowded. They don't have money to feed the prisoners enough or to have a clean jail. It's really the situation and, and the conditions of the prisoners in the PA jails are very bad. I hope that anybody from the PA or from the donors who, who give money to the Palestinian authority to give them money to to change their laws first and be committed to human rights uh, laws uh, and to change the conditions inside the Palestinian jails, even for the normal criminals. You know, the criminals, they, have, they should have rights too, in spite of what they did. And what is your... Um, you have an attorney in this case, right? Yes. And a Palestinian attorney? Yes, with the PA, I have a Palestinian attorney. And what does your attorney think of your case? My attorney knows very well that it's political and it's not about the law. Wow. I, I think that's the perfect place to end. I'm so happy that Issa said that part about these cases not being about the law because that's such an important point to absorb here. It's it's really important to understand that the law isn't the end-all be-all and it's important to see that all of the activism happening around his cases has really made an impact and can continue to make an impact. That activism could very well be the reason that East is not right now serving one of two prison terms, and it starts with people caring. So thank you so much, listeners out there, for being with us, and thank you for caring. And please, if you have any questions, reactions, requests for content, please send them in. I love hearing from you. As for Issa, I want to thank him so much for his participation in this program. And I should say that his participation here has been to sit for interviews. Any mistakes or omissions or interpretations you hear coming from me or that you read on the site, those are my own. Until next time, this has been Talking Human Rights. I'm Heather Robertson-Gaston. Our guest has been Palestinian activist Isa Amro. You can find the show on the web at www.talkinghumanrights.com.